0: this morning we're gonna we're gonna continue in this little tiny brief series on personal hope and suffering um michael de montagne a a philosopher from the french renaissance said this he said this almost 500 years ago my life has been filled with terrible misfortune most of which never happened (laughs) and uh I think some of us can relate to that. Um, Dr. Walter Calvert reported on a survey on worry, and he indicated that only 8% of the things that people worried about were legitimate matters of concern. The other 92% were either imaginary, things that had not happened, things that never happened, or involved matters over which the people had no control anyway. And so this morning we're going to take a look at this second passage and as I shared last week the passage that we looked at last week and the passage we looked at this week were just one of many passages that God used to encourage and challenge me over the past 9 months. And the reason I wanted us to look at these together was I didn't want us to skip forward where we we just left the past behind without taking what was learned And throw those things forward. Share them forward. If I'm to be honest, this week has probably been one of the absolute worst weeks for me in this area of my life. Anytime that you preach on anxiousness and worry and fear, watch out. Right? It's like patience. And so this has not been an easy week preparation for me. Frankly, I've cried many days. I've sobbed. I've wept. But the need for God's constant presence and the simplicity of his truth is vital as fear attempts to replace faith and anxiety tries to thwart peace, as we saw last week. And so like last week, this sermon title this morning is Suffering Peace, and it's a play on words, that peace can either suffer during our suffering or be a blessing in the midst of our suffering. But regardless, ultimately, who and what we seek will determine whether we experience the latter, and that is God's peace. So let's go ahead. We're going to be reading from Philippians chapter 4. I'm going to have Emma hold off on bringing the the verse up on the screen just for a moment because I'm going to read the first three verses, and then when I get to verse 4, we're going to read verses 4 through 9, okay? So let's go ahead and stand together as we read God's Word this morning. And this is what it says. Beginning in verse 1, it says, Therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat you, Dia, and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true Companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Now to our passage this morning. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think on these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the peace that you promise in your word. Thank you, Lord, for this instruction today. Of how to experience God, your peace, to stand firm in the midst of worry and the midst of fear. Father, thank you for the gift of Jesus, the presence of peace that is within all those who believe. Lord, We pray that you would move the flesh aside, that you would bring forth your word in power, and that you would speak to each of our hearts this morning. And I ask these things in your name. Amen. As we talked about last week, my hope for this little brief series is not one of heaviness but as one of encouragement, one of joy, and one of simplicity. That in the depth of suffering, often we can be overburdened with deep theological truths, and what we need is the very simplicity of the gospel of which Jesus speaks. And so this morning... At the heart of this particular text is the idea of seeking God and his glories in suffering enables us to stand firm and experience the peace of his presence. Seeking God and his glories in suffering enables us to stand firm and experience the peace of his presence. It is that we are seeking suffering peace peace in the midst of our own suffering. Now, Paul's no stranger to suffering. At this point, when he's writing, he's writing his letter to the church in Philippi from prison, and he emphasizes the joy that believers can find in Christ and his church. He exhorts them to remain steadfast in this joy when he says in verse 1, Stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. He then goes on and he points out that in verse 2 and 3 that there's a need for those within the church to encourage and assist two faithful servants of God in reconciliation. Now, this leads us to our passage this morning in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. One of the most famous verses in Scripture. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Now, what's important here is is there is an emphasis on this idea of rejoicing. That our joy is to be found in Christ. Our joy is to be found in the Lord. See, when we're confronted with situations which seem insurmountable or overwhelming, our first call is to praise God. Our first call is to praise God. See, in praising God, we're actually reminded of His sovereignty over all people and situations and things. That's why in Psalm 150, verses one through two, it says this, praise the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary, praise him in his mighty heavens, praise him for his mighty deeds, praise him according to his excellent greatness. I think sometimes we can look at praising God and we can really wonder how to do that. Where do we begin? When we're in the midst of suffering or in trial, What are we actually praising God about? Are we thanking him for the situation or the circumstances and saying, praise God, I'm being broken? Most of us aren't at that place. Even Jesus himself wept in the garden as he looked at the cup of wrath that was before him, and yet he called it joy. He spoke of a joy that was going to the cross, not... The cross itself being one of joy. But what was to come, which is the redemption of mankind. So in our praise, we're acknowledging the sovereignty of God. God is not asking us to praise Him for the circumstance. He's asking us to praise Him for His greatness and for His goodness. And in that praise, it reminds us that our joy is not found in the things of this world, but it is found in Him. He continues in verse 5, Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Now this exhortation seems a bit strange in its placement in this text. You see, the word here, actually, reasonableness, is the word epikaze. And epikaze in Greek carries with it a number of different ideas. Uh, the first idea that it carries with is the idea of humility. The second is gentleness, and it goes through a myriad of good-tempered and gracious and forbearing and even and considerate. And so reasonableness is this, this word that is encompassing all of these things, and yet when we're overwhelmed and we're anxious about a situation or its pending outcome, our reasonableness is often the first thing to go. We become reactive, we become angry, we become impatient, we become prideful where we look for our own solutions rather than seeking God for his. And he's pointing this out. If you're gonna stand firm in Christ, remember his sovereignty And let your reasonableness, your humility, your patience, your gentleness be shown to everyone. We don't get the freedom to say, well, I'm anxious today, so it gives me the freedom to be a jerk, right? (laughs) I'm hurting today, so that should be an excuse for me to lash out at you. I'm overwhelmed, and so therefore I'm impatient It's a part of the passage, I think, that often gets overlooked and glossed over. But the truth is it fits perfectly. Because if we're going to stand firm, what he's saying is, part of it is your love for others. That in the midst of your own pain, you don't get the freedom to lash out. It is as Jesus was on the cross and looked at Mary and had compassion on her and looked at John, the one that had run away from him, and looked upon him with compassion. And he said to John, John, your mother. And he said to Mary, Mary, your son. Establishing the relationship of his church. It would have been easy for Jesus to look at them and say, you put me here. Get away. Instead, he gave them a wonderful relationship with one another in himself, the church. So then he goes on and he says this. After saying, let your reasons be known to everyone... He then says, the Lord is at hand. And why does he say this? He says this because the only way that we can remain reasonable is to realize that the Lord is hand. He's saying, stand firm for God is near. When we're overwhelmed, often the first thing that we think of is not about God's nearness. Our first question often is, God, where are you? There's a desperate cry of our hearts, is there not? And it's the promise that, guess what? In Jesus, God is near. We're told that God is near to the brokenhearted. And so we can be reasonable because the Lord is at hand. He is near. Now, peace can only be found in God And it's vital to standing firm in him. Apart from experiencing his peace, we're going to be flopping all over the place. This is why Paul can say in verse 6, do not be anxious about anything. Now it's important to note that we're still going to worry and have deep concern over matters. And that's natural. However, the word anxiousness here literally refers to the idea of being divided or distracted. It is that our anxiousness and fear is causing us to lose sight of what is important, ultimately, Christ and His will. You see, anxiousness that distracts or divides us is a result of not placing our total trust in Christ. And we're prone to it, are we not? Anxious just is actually a form of self-control. We worry about those things we can't do on our own. We worry about outcomes that have yet to come. Paul Tripp points out, whatever sits on the other side of your if only is where you're looking for life, peace, joy, hope, and lasting contentment of heart. I love that. If only it had gone this way. If only this had just happened. The if-onlys actually point us to what we're putting our hope in. This is why Luke says in chapter 12, verse 22 through 23, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Repeatedly, do not be anxious. At the bottom part of that chapter 12, he says, Fear not, little flock. For it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Wow. It's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. What an awesome promise. Why can we not fear? Because God is giving us his kingdom. So, the only way that we're going to be able to stand firm in the Lord then is by seeking the Lord in his ways rather than trusting in ourselves and the methods of the world. So how do we stand firm amidst the fear and worry of suffering? Well, the first is through our prayer life. Our prayer life. Seeking God with thanksgiving. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Now the word prayer here is a word that's actually used to describe communing with God. It's a general word. And it's this idea of talking to God. In our suffering, we can be very busy trying to resolve problems and forgetting who is actually the resolver of those problems. For much of my life, I'll give you a little bit of a background on me, my life has been fixing problems It started when i was relatively young parents were divorced i felt this deep need to step into the role of taking on the the aspects that my dad did not take on in our home the first two companies i went to work were startups that were startups by major corporations small amounts of employees jack of all trades master of none fix every beta test and every problem you can imagine. And then I worked for a staffing company. I went worked as a staffing manager. My job was to go into underperforming offices and put processes in place to bring them back to productivity. And then God brought me into church environments where twice Different pastors were under church discipline and having to transition churches and move churches in that direction. There's a lot of problem solving inside of me. But there are problems in my life that I cannot fix. And the natural place to go is, hey, Tim, think through it. Figure it out. You got this. And God's looking at it going, you've never had this. Right? The truth is, is that the peace of God begins with our communion with God. I don't know if you guys are internal processors or out loud processors. I'm an out loud processor. I looked at Elisa last night. I was talking through something and was actually at a point where I really was struggling with this passage personally to apply. And I said, don't take anything that I'm saying right now too seriously. But I needed to talk to her. And then I just stopped, and I'm like, no, actually, you know who I need to talk to? Is I need to talk to the Lord. Right now, I need to talk to the Lord. 1 Peter 5, 6 through 7 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him, because He cares for you. So in our prayer, we seek Him and acknowledge that He is sovereign over everyone and everything. Now, this prayer is marked by supplication. When we come to the Lord, we make requests of the Lord. Specifically, we actually ask the Lord for things. You know why? Twofold. One is, we get the opportunity to see God answer those prayers clearly in both the affirmative, or in the negative, or even in the wait. The weight is just us actually sitting upon God saying, God, it's in your timing and in your place. The second thing that we actually get to see is because we're asking God specifically, if those things are not coming about in the timing that we are desiring, we are able to see his answers at work. It actually builds a confidence. It gives us a peace. Nothing is left hanging out there. And this supplication involves a pleading and an urgency. We're making specific requests of the Lord. It was odd on Wednesday, out of nowhere, as I was getting ready to sit down to do this message, a flood of fear came over me. Things that I felt in my body. One of the hardest things about kind of staying my mind on Christ is the fact that I can feel my body do different things. And each time it's like, well, is that something? Is that, is that a fungus? Oh, or what was that? And you just sit in there, and that feeling became overwhelming for me. In the moment I sat down and I started going through emails, I had... 987 unlooked at emails, church emails, from over the last nine months. So I thought, well, this might be a good time to look through those. What I found in going through them was the letters to this church about praying for me. I can't tell you what a blessing it was. But even more than the prayer was seeing God's hand in it. Seeing God's deliverance that in the weariness gets lost. And I was able to rejoice over, oh yeah, God, you did do that. And you did do that and you did answer in this way. And boy, that peace that was being undergirded By the body of Christ in prayer. As I prayed too. What a blessing. The second way that our prayer is marked that brings peace is through Thanksgiving. We acknowledge what God has done. I think sometimes we can get stuck, right? And we can see everything that's wrong. I was just with somebody recently and The person was telling me everything that they saw wrong. And I finally stopped the person. I actually had to pull the person aside and I said, I just want to hear one good thing. One good thing. And as we talked about this, what I found was that for this person, it was very difficult to find one good thing because we're so good at seeing all that's broken. But when we start in our prayer, when we put our requests before the Lord and we do it with thanksgiving, what we're acknowledging is the goodness that's already occurred. It reminds us that not everything is that bad. And it acknowledges that God is at work within us and for us. So prayer that brings peace is a prayer that seeks God with Thanksgiving Psalm 94:19 adds, "When the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. Just by being communing with God, our hearts are encouraged. I can't tell you the number of times where sitting in a hospital bed, I sat there, and the only thing and I kid you not I could care less if I ever watch TV again. I don't even want to see it. It doesn't, it's just, there are a few things that are on, probably sports, I'll watch sports, but there are so few things that interest me. And I remember lying in that bed and reading his scripture, and then the only thing that was important was talking to God, communing with him. And it was amazing how when I communed with God, the anxiousness went away. It was also amazing how quickly, when I stopped communing with God, the anxiousness came back. John Calvin points out that through prayer, we will seek, love, and serve Him while we become accustomed in every need to flee to Him as to a sacred anchor. The more we pray, the more we see Him as our anchor. Stephen Cole continues, it purifies our desires since we must bring them to God himself. It prepares us to receive thankfully what he gives, being reminded that it comes from his hand. It helps us to meditate on his kindness as we delight in what he's given. It confirms to us our own weakness and God's great providence and faithfulness in meeting our needs. That's the beauty of prayer. So we see a prayer life is vital to experiencing his peace. The second is our thought life, our thought life, seeking God's glories, seeking God's glories. And I'll explain this. Now, notice here the exhortation is to think about these things. He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Now this word think is actually meditate. It's not just, hey, I have a fleeting thought. It is setting your mind on these things, meditating on these things. It's not a once over. It's not something where you just walk by and you go, yeah, I thought about God's goodness, now I'm done. Should have his peace. On the contrary, it's actually sitting on that thinking about God's peace. Thinking about God's truth. Thinking about those things which are pure and just and right and noble. It is the means by which, as Second Corinthians 10.5 says... We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. It is the way that we do that. By focusing our minds on the glories of God. Jonathan Edwards adds, The ideas and images in men's minds are invisible powers that constantly govern them. I love that. The things in our minds are the invisible powers that constantly govern us. That's why what we think is so important. And this is not positive thinking. This is not ignoring the reality of life. It's not ignoring the reality of the situation. It's not pretending that something doesn't exist. The best way I can think of it is, is the fire or the storm in your life is placed out here, but directly in front of you is placed Jesus. And all that you can see is Jesus. It's like closing your eye and putting a finger over the sun. It's not saying that the sun doesn't exist and you still feel the heat and see the light, but the only thing that you actually really see is the finger. That's what happens when we steady our mind on the glories of God those things which point to the Lord. See, the glories of God are those things that point to God's goodness and His greatness, even in creation, those things which are true, that are factual. Jesus died on the cross for our sin. Hope is not found in this world, but found in God. Those things which are pure, those things which are just, when we see an act of justice in the world, it doesn't point us to go, man, I trust more in the world. It should point us to say, we have a God that is just. And the best part about it is that because he is just, I can entrust all things to him. It is that when we see these things which point to that which is true and that which is honorable, And that which is just, and that which is pure, and lovely, and commendable, and anything of excellence, it points to Jesus. See, think about that. What does this remind you of? Truth, honor, justice, holiness, loveliness, commendability, excellence, and worthy of our praise. Jesus. That's what it reminds us of. That's the Savior that we serve. He's saying, focus your mind on those things that point to the Lord and rejoice in them. Think on these things. Oh, we're good at thinking about what's going on behind us, are we not? We're good at thinking about the situation in front of us. One of the greatest struggles for me has been over nine months every day waking up and taking a blood pressure, three nonetheless, every morning and every evening, and a temperature. Taking blood work, which was weekly, sometimes more than weekly. The constancy of doctor's appointments. You want to talk about taking your mind off of something? Every time that I tried to take my mind, my mind would get pushed into these things. The anxiousness of that. We're never intended to have that kind of information. But it consumes us. And is it any wonder that the peace struggles because our minds are consumed with things that God's saying, Listen, change that? It doesn't mean we don't do those things, but it does mean that our minds need to have a shift. So that now when I look at my surgeon rather as seeing it as one who's going to come in and find something else that's wrong I can look at him and say wow God you are a wonderful God to create humans that can do 17 hours worth of surgery meticulously. We asked him a single question why did it take so long? Maybe a dumb question. What he shared with us was interesting. He said Tim Tim Everything in your body, in that section of your body, is considered infected. All the stitches that were put in you in 2015 had to be accounted for. There were over a hundred. I had to find every single one, count them, catalog them, and take them out of you. Think about that. The meticulousness. Me, I'd be tired after ten minutes. Right? <laughs> These guys are in their 17 hours, right, focused in this one spot. That's a glory of God. That's only accomplishable because the Lord does it. And it points to his greatness. And so we can rejoice over those things. Our, Our thinking and our thoughts have to change. And let me share with you, I am not perfect at this by any means, This is a wonderful, masterful, horrible work of progress in my life. And when I say horrible, it is painful. But I do know this, that when my eyes are steadied on Jesus, God's peace is overwhelming and without understanding. Two days after coming out of surgery, it may have been the day after, right as I was coming off, I don't really remember much. Um, To be really frank, for five days, and I'm not actually exaggerating this or making this up, I saw pink polka dots and blue spider webs on everything for five days. Um, Elisa and Abby and Corey will attest to that. Not only that, if I simply looked at your face what I saw was over 2,000 birds flying across what was, I thought, my eyes. And what I would see is your face on every single one of those birds. Okay? I had no reference point for being able to describe this to doctors except to say I'm seeing double vision. But it took too much energy to try to figure out what I was seeing. And the doctors kind of looked and they said with kind of hope, let's just give it a few days. Sounded good to me. I was really wondering what would happen if it didn't change over those few days. But in the day of coming out of the surgery and the ventilator being pulled off, what I can describe to you is only being felt like what it must feel like if you were hit square by a Mack truck. The spreaders that they use to keep you open for that long are not designed to do so. Everything in your back and your body is being stretched and torn. All I knew is I never wanted to move again. I wondered how I was going to cough, and the fear of getting up was overwhelming. More than that, I didn't understand my surroundings at all. It took me four days to figure out I'd have been in the same room the whole time. And on that day, Elisa was in and she was going through things. As she said she counted 26 different pumps attached to me. That didn't include the catheters and the chest tubes. 30 tubes. If you'd been in there, what you would have seen, and this is what I saw, was a bank of lights from all these pumps behind me. In fact, I turned to Corey and I said, this is a really funny question, but are we in a spaceship? Remember that? As clear as day. Because I could not make sense of what I was seeing. After answering those questions and explaining to me what they were, Corey got up and walked out. What I didn't know was that Abby was in the room. And I remember when Corey and Elisa were out of the room, it scared me. I felt alone. And Abby came walking around the corner, and she just pulled up Scripture, and she started reading it. What I can tell you is the steadiness of mind when what we have to focus on is Jesus. Jesus. And the overwhelming peace as the result of just hearing truth spoken steadies our hearts and our minds. It allows us to experience his peace. So when the instruction here comes that we are to think on these things on God's glories, if you don't know where to begin, begin here. Begin here. Let the word of God Sink into your heart, even when you're struggling with his presence. Hebrews 12, 2. We're told this, and it's wonderful. It's about Jesus. And he says this. Hebrews 12, 2. As I looked up Hebrews 2, 12. Sorry about that. It says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Who better to run to? The one who counted it as joy to go to the cross for our sake, for our sin. Suffering a death that was not his own. despising shame on our behalf. Who better to run to? In a quick word, I do want to touch on this idea of commendability. When it says here that we are to think on whatever is commendable, it actually deals with graciousness and speaking well of others. It's the exact opposite of a critical spirit. So when you find your mind focused on other people and their failures, move it off. To experience the peace of God, you can acknowledge the truth of what has happened, but don't stay there. If you do, the peace of God will not, will not be sensed in your own life. So verse nine then continues this. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. So the promise of peace that is here. We have our thought life, our prayer life and the promise of peace is living life. Living life. God's peace will guard you through his presence in Christ. God's peace will guard you through his presence in Christ. It is in his peace that we are able to live well. It is in his peace that we are able to stand firm. It is in his peace that his presence is experienced. And we experience his peace because Christ is with us. You see, part of communing with God is actually moving towards the Lord, not away from him. Part of communing with God is, as Paul said here, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. If we're walking in disobedience, if we look at this and say, well, that's not how I want to deal with this, we're going to be in trouble. We're not going to feel the peace of God. We're not going to know the peace of God. The way we're going to experience the peace of God is by walking out what he's instructed us to do. Now, what we're not talking about is that there are times and seasons in our lives Where anxiety may be so overwhelming that there are issues that we need to walk through, live through, we may even at times need medication. But here's what I want to encourage you with there are lots of methods to overcome anxiousness. But if any method takes this out of it, we're gonna have problems. So when you're using breathing exercises, Pray. When you're breathing in, think on the Lord. Use those things as tools to actually do this. It's important that we realize that in those tools, that those tools can be helpful for us. But they don't negate what Scripture says. We need to actually see that these are blessings and means by which we can actually apply what Scripture says. And they need to be applied with the Scripture. John 14, 27 puts it this way Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. What a wonderful passage! Not as the world gives. Why? Because Christ has given himself. He is your peace. He's sufficient for all your needs. He's the one that's interceding for us even when we we don't even know what to pray. You ever been to that point in your life where you pray and you're like, God, I got nothing. But you know you got everything. Everything. The Spirit is interceding on your behalf. The Lord knows your weariness as you seek Him, as you come to Him. It's a peace that doesn't leave because it's not based upon situations or circumstances. It's based upon Christ's presence. Kelly had no idea that I was going to be reading from this passage, but Isaiah 26.3. You keep Him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because He trusts in you. That's where the peace of God comes from. And in so doing Christ keeps us as well. Now these are simple truths but boy aren't they hard. Now I want to encourage you if you look at your notes you'll see prayer life, thought life and living life together. Last week, I encouraged you at the end of that message to, rest, to run, rest, and rely on God. The simplicity of resting in faith in the goodness of God. Today, not that I'm getting into acrostics here, but it works. PTL. Think of it as prayer life, thought life, and living life, but also think of it this way. This will remind you. PTL, we often say praise the Lord. I have a doctor who doesn't want to, on his medical email, send that to me. So what he does is he does PTL. (laughs) PTL, Dr. So-and-so. Every time that you are drawn back to praising the Lord, remember this. Your prayer life, your thought life, and living life. The promise is that God has given you his peace And so may we be a people this morning who, in the face of suffering, seek God and His glories, not methods of man, and run to His peace with our hearts and with our minds and with our lives. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, as we prepare for communion this morning, we thank you that you are the peace that we have. That peace is not bound up in things or in man, but it is bound up solely in you. Father, let us rejoice and rejoice all the time. Knowing that, Lord, as we come to you, And commune with you as we think on your glories and as we rejoice in your peace. That we have what we need to stand firm in you. May our lives reflect your very truth. And may we experience the peace that can only come from your presence in our life. And we ask this in your name. Amen.